All right. Well, good morning, Northern Hills Church. It is good to be with you this morning. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here, part of the teaching team. Uh, welcome everybody here that's in person. As Pastor Brian said, it's good to have you all back from the snow. I want to welcome also all of our friends that are joining us online. Great to have you with us as well. We're continuing in this James series. We're homeboy has come strong. He's come with some words of uh, encouragement, of challenge. I was just speaking to some people in between services, even before first service, and I'm telling you, it's amazing how James is threading everything together, but also just really succinct on some of the very practical things we're trying to get after, right? So I want to start with a study I came across, all right? This is from the Harvard School of Public Health. And basically what they found, according to the Harvard School of Public Health, in our lifetime, we will spend 95% of our life indoors, inside. I don't know if that's encouraging to you or not, but it was fascinating when I came across it. I actually had to do a double take when I came across this study because I'm like, that can't be, but it was Harvard. It was Harvard, so you sort of take it a little bit more seriously. This isn't like a Wikipedia stat that someone's just sort of dreaming up and putting out there, right? And so I started looking into it, and here is what they found in their study. Here's how all of this breaks down. 65% in your lifetime will be spent in your residence, okay? The place you call home, that townhome, apartment, place you live at, all right? 25% is going to be in other indoor environments. So just think about like the work you go to, the restaurant you frequent. Some of us have been to Denver Motor Vehicles, DMV. You've actually probably spent 10% of your life in the DMV, okay? That's just the honest truth. We've all been there. 10% of your life is going to be spent there. The next stat that came out was transit. 5 to 7% of our lives will be indoors in a car or on an airplane taking plane, trains, and automobiles, right? That's transit. And so this last meager 5% is spent outdoors. The average American life will be 5% in the great outdoors. And the reason why I'm mentioning this study is because if the average American spends 95% of their time indoors, then to me, it would seem like our focus is spent inside, that there are things that are priorities to us that are inside, that we're focused on the inside, which is good because this is where James is going to be focused this morning. See, we're continuing our series in the book of James, bringing faith to life. And here's what we've been finding again over the course of the many weeks we've been spending with one another is that James was talking to an audience and talking to us, this audience, online, in person, in that, hey, I want to see your faith. You guys talk a big game or there's things that internally maybe you've processed and have become Christians and, and speak to good things, but how are we seeing that lived out in your everyday life? How is your faith shining in all of the things, not that you just say or think, but the things that you do? And so he's really practical in this entire book. He gets really practical with us. And in James chapter 4 this morning, this half-brother of Jesus is speaking to the heart of what's going on indoors, inside. James chapter 4 verse 1, we're going to kick it off here. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? 
Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Evil, like the fruits of the devil. Some of you will know where I got that line. That was a Michael Myers comedian. Google it if you don't know what it is. You'll enjoy it, all right? What do you think about, what comes to your mind when you think about evil, when you think about darkness? What comes to mind? We just got off the Halloween season. We just got done with uh, people. And I'm telling you, there are a lot of people that like going big decor for Halloween, right? The most popular decor item over the last three years has been this thing called Skelly. Some of you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Skelly, all right? It's the 12 foot tall skeleton that many people are using, again, as, as a decor item in their lawns. And these are pretty much on every other street now. You see them <laughs> quite, quite a lot around just driving in the neighborhood. Now what's interesting, there's a Skelly in my neighborhood, all right? It used to just be the eight foot, nine foot stuff, but this Skelly has stayed up the entire year. All right. Literally, we were having bets on this in my family. Like, well, of course, it's going to stay up for Christmas because you got to decorate it with the Santa hat and those kind of things. But then it's like it got into Valentine's Day and then continued going on. And my son had put his money on that. No, they're going to keep it up year round. There's no way it's going to be around. And I found myself turning into the grumpy old man over the course of the summer because our HOA was sending me notices on a dead tree. And we have Skelly wearing swim trunks and a beach ball in the neighborhood. Don't send me the, the notice. My son won the bet. Year round, Skelly has been up. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about evil and darkness, all right? But I wonder if we tend to think Halloween or Skelly or spinning heads and all other kinds of shenanigans. The truth is, and what James is getting at is that oftentimes evil and darkness it's just in our everyday relationships. It's just in people. And we would never audibly say this, but many of us have thought about it with a person we encounter that we're just really frustrated with. I am gonna make this person's life a living hell over the next period of time. Or we think to ourselves or tell ourselves the narrative, this person is definitely gonna make my life a living hell over the next period of time. Evil darkness, evil desires, those just live in us. What is causing fights and quarrels among you? They come from the evil inside of you, within you. It's interesting because James is addressing problems that were going on within the early church. So we have this book 2,000 years ago, but we still have fights and quarrels now. Yes, no? We have fights and quarrels all the time, don't we? Sometimes our fights and quarrels are, are a little different. They take place with keyboard warriors, or they take place with an individual that's maybe sending that text and that thread's going back and forth, and someone's just trying to get in maybe that last dig, right? Our fights and quarrels are constant, just like they were in the early church, though. And we see them globally. We see them incessantly. And so we see these things taking place. And when we get frustrated and we're annoyed when there's somebody in our life that's gotten on our last nerves, we're sick of them, we're done with them, and someone wants to know what's wrong with the world, it's easy to point to them. It's easy to point to that politician. It's easy to point to the other. 
that's where our focus lies. We have that terrible tale to tell, right? Oh, well, if you only knew what they believe in, uh, let me tell you what they said. Let me tell you what they did. And so we mention all of their shortcomings, all of their failures. And what James does here is he's asking the question, what's causing these fights and quarrels? Because he's not gonna allow them. He's not gonna allow us to answer the question with a them. He's gonna force us to look inside. Look inside of us. The evil, that's within you. Interestingly enough, the first time he mentions you in this scripture, it's plural. What is causing the fights and quarrels amongst you and then it turns into a singular. It's the evil desires within you. How do you take that this morning? Thanks, James. Another hard word, right? And he tells us how we go about satisfying those evil desires. Verse two through three, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Have you ever thought, what is something that you want? Maybe right now, what is something you want that you don't have? I think all of us can relate to this question if we're honest with each other. Now, I gotta share with you, this is the car that I want, all right? I want a BMW X5, baby. Seriously, this is the car, I mean, I look good already here, I wanna look good in that too, okay? because that is an awesome, cool car. That's what I want, but this is what I have. This is what I drive, is a 2014 Kia. And it's a hand-me-down because that's how ministry works. When you get the newer car in the family, it goes to your spouse, and then you get the hand-me-down, the, the, the other car. Now, mine's not even this nice looking because it has dents in it, right? Here's the kind of hair I want. I want to have Ryan Reynolds' luscious locks, baby. That's what I want, all right? But here's the hair I have. It's called landing pad. Like literally, each time we're doing a run through here for production and I turn around and it does, I'm like, oh yeah, see, like right there, you almost saw it. It's just the worst. Now we laugh because we could think of a lot of things that are actually pretty laughable that we want that we don't have, but we also know this goes deeper, come on. Many of us can relate to something that we want that we don't have. The status, that house, oh, that lifestyle, that spouse, those children, that bank account, that career. You want what you don't have so you will scheme and you'll kill to get it. And we're tempted to think, oh, well, I have this wrong in my life or I have this situation that's happening right now that's just really difficult. And so if I just had that thing, if I just had that something, if I just had this fill in the gap, this would make me complete. But there's something deeper that is causing that issue. And James is naming it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. Write this down if you're taking notes this morning. The issue behind the issue it's always jealousy. The issue behind the issue, 
And that's what we're talking about, what's inside, what's deep inside of us. Because I think we'd all agree here, we all have issues. Online, you would, you would agree with that? We all have issues. We we're all have issues. They're just different issues. They're different issues that we entangle us or that stress us out, but we all have them, right? And so we, we go in, if we go deeper inside, this is something we're all working through. But James is saying the root of that is that you're jealous of others. The issue behind any kind of issue you have is because of this jealousy. And James goes on to say that we're going to fight and wage just to take it. And one of the words he's using here, it's a root word, and it's something called hedonism. Some of you have heard this word before, hedonism. It's simply do whatever feels good. You do you. The casino line. <laughs> what stays here is going to stay here, and you know, just you, you let loose. If it feels good, do it. If it's what you think, then go with it. If that's what you feel, satisfy it. And listen to me, those are counterfeit to Christianity. That's counterfeit to the kingdom of God. Because when you do what feels good to you and makes sense to you, those are generally passions and desires, evil desires that are inside of you. Our natural instinct isn't to starve those things, it's to feed those things. Our natural instinct isn't to be led by God and his word. Our natural instinct is to be led by self because we like being God. We like having the answers. And so we'll blame the world. We'll blame others. We'll blame their brokenness and the brokenness that's out there. But have you considered, have you ever considered that the greatest threat to your life might be you? The greatest threat to your life might be you. Because if you think about every major difficulty, everything that you faced that was a, a really difficult time in your life, the relationships may look different. The relationships could have changed, maybe they're the same. The circumstances or situation could have changed, maybe they're the same. But chances are those are different. But the common denominator in all of those dark places, it was you. Now I'm not for a minute talking about something that has happened, that has been done unto you by someone else's choices, some evil or some hurt, some pain that came your way through someone else's choices. I know when we think of our most horrific days, the worst days of our life, those can be part of that story. I'm not highlighting that. What I'm trying to ask us to consider and what we need to be honest with ourselves was that the decisions that we've made that have put us in those places of really bad days and really bad choices, the sum of all those working parts, I was present for those. If I'm honest with myself, I was the common denominator. And we just don't think like that. That I might be the greatest threat to my life. That because of the jealousy inside of me and what's going on inside of me, that I might be the greatest liability to my joy. That I might be the greatest liability to my very well-being. The issue behind the issue is jealousy. And before we talk about what's going on out there, James is saying we have to be honest about what's going on in here. If we do everything that we want to do, we will destroy ourselves. You will destroy you. 
if you want to do everything you want to do. And I find it interesting because oftentimes we'll say that Jesus is the one that saves us from hell. And he is the one that does that. But you know what else Jesus does? Jesus saves you from you. And he saves me from me. Hallelujah. That's a full-time job. <laughs> okay? It's a full-time job in what Jesus is doing in each and every one of our lives. We might be our biggest risks. And there are actions that we would take if, if we could, but we don't. And so we think them. And if people knew our thoughts, they would be pretty horrifying. If they knew what we wanted to do, people we wanted to kill, people we wanted to injure or hurt, right? How many parents are here today? Parents here today. Parents online, join us, waving your hands as well, right? Parents that are just in the room, I want to ask a question also for you online. Do you have to teach your children pretty much everything? You do. We have to teach them all the things, right? We have to teach our kids how to walk. We teach our kids how to talk. We teach our kids how to eat, right? Do you ever teach your kids jealousy? Do you ever teach them that? Because here's what's happening right now in our children's wing. Our, our children's wing down that hallway with the three-year-olds is there's a little boy that's looking at a little girl who's playing with a truck right now. And I know what you're thinking to yourself. You're like, well, if it's my little boy, he's probably going and being, you know, very playful and, and making sure they're building community and enjoying one another. But what's happening is that boy's going and taking that truck from the girl's hands and making her cry right now. And you're saying to yourself, well, that's not my child. That's the first time guest's child, Brandon. That's what's happening there. But this is what jealousy looks like, right? We don't have to teach them that. From an early place, the earliest days, we're jealous of what others have. And there's something in us that have these evil desires, these passions and desires. I win, you lose. I, I take <laughs> and you give, right? I rule, you are ruled over. And James is identifying there's something broken. There's something flawed that's inside. It's not the way that God has made us, but it is the way that sin has made us. It's totally corrupted you. And the way you think of things inside drives that. And so the point is, we don't need God to make us better. We need God to make us new. We need God to do a transformative work in our lives where we start seeing people with the eyes that he has, care for others the way that he does. And James is talking here, just let's be honest. We tend to be honest about everything else, so we need to be honest about ourselves. And so he goes on to say, you don't ask God. And this is what we often do. We get jealous of what they have, but we don't ask him to provide for us. And most of us can relate to this. Are, are you a red light or green light person? Red light being like, no. Green light being like, yes, to everything, right? I, I tend to think of myself a, a little bit as a green light person, saying yes to a lot of things. But how many of you interact on, let's say, at least a weekly basis with just a, a, a little boy? Uh, maybe in your sphere of influence, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're just an auntie, uncle, uh, maybe you have a little boy in your life. Here's the deal. Little boys are suicidal, 
And why they're suicidal is because if you get a sharp object in their hand, or even they'll find the sharp object within their sphere of influence somehow, right? And then for some reason, these little boys will try to find also the tallest place of wherever they're at, whether that's a playground or a house, with that sharp object. And so at times, we all know this, if we're around these suicidal little tendency people, right? We will actually come alongside them and, and say, no, we'll be the red light people. This shouldn't happen. Or, or we'll take something away. And they may think in that moment that you're trying to restrict them from something. They'll, they'll pout or they get mad or something like that. But what you're doing is you're preserving their life. You're trying to help them from not killing themselves. And what is our good father doing for us? This is so important. It's so good at what James is trying to remind us here. Is assume that you don't get what you've asked for because sometimes your motives are just suicidal tendencies. Your motives are wrong. You wanted what would only give you pleasure. And we've all done this. Oh, I need more money. And sometimes God is saying, well, I, I gave you money. You just misspent it. Well, I, I need more. I'm, I'm short. And we forget that the concept of stewardship, not just with money, but with our time or with our talents, that this concept of stewardship is consistently throughout the scriptures that, that everything belongs to God. God's the owner and we're just the managers. In fact, he speaks to this. Jesus, 25% of his teachings on stewardship, how to invest your life rather than just waste your life. And so sometimes we get in that space and we're jealous of the things that we don't have. We get angry with God. I need more time. I need more money. I need more resources. And God wants us to reflect, well, did you ask me? And did I provide? When I provided, did you steward what I provided and gave you? Did you, did, did you steward that well? And those are the questions. Well, we're so easy to ask, well, God, like, what are you doing? Where are you? What's going on? What are you doing? And we'd be wise to consider that his response would look very similar. I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing, but I was going to ask you the same question. What are you doing with what I've given? And so in the process, we live in a country and we ourselves, we're wearing it even here this morning. Many of us, we're exhausted. We don't sleep enough. We've spent too much, we're overworked, we're burned out, we're frustrated, we're tired, we're blaming God, we're blaming others and the outside rather than asking God, hey, what am I supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be doing right now, God? What am I not supposed to be doing? And I will put my life together that's healthy and pleasing to you based on what you tell me to do not what my insides tell me to do. And so James continues to talk about this, this happening inside. And it's gonna be a few more hard words before the good, okay? Stay with me, I know. James doesn't pull punches. He's using the strongest language here. You adulterers, verse four. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit has, he has placed within us should be faithful to him. <laughs> you adulterers. Wow. Really, James? Why don't you just write an encouragement and <laughs> self-help book, man, because you're really doing well here. 
What's he saying here? I'll explain. In August of 2002, I actually got this math wrong uh, first hour. Someone pointed it out to me, and I just told them I went to Broomfield High School. I don't know if that was... <laughs> Some of you are Broomfield High School graduates, and now, yeah, we, we get it. Anyway, in 2002, I met my, my girl. I met my wife. And it was in 2003, a year later, that we got married. And so we just got done celebrating our 20-year anniversary this past August. And whoo, I know, yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah. Hey, clap for her, okay? Because I guarantee you, she's felt like she's been married since 1983, all right? But here's the deal. She's my best friend, right? She has my complete heart, our marriage relationship is what the Bible would call a covenant because it's unique, it's special, it's sacred. We have two children together. We are each other's mate, right? And, and when we look at that, that means that marriage is supposed to be sacred, intimate, safe, guarded, and protected. If I were to wander outside of that relationship, it's adulterous. And James has given us the same idea here because the Bible says that Jesus Christ is like a groom and that the church is like a bride. And what God wants with us is this covenantal marriage kind of relationship, kind of friendship that's, that's based around fidelity, unity, harmony, and loyalty. But here's where the problem lies with most of us. And this is just if we're being honest with one another, most of us actually with God, we want a relationship with God that's friends with benefits. We do. We want all of the good things that I get the benefits of my relationship with God, but no devoted commitment to him in all things, that I'm not just exclusive with him, that this is sort of an open deal, that, you know what, I, there's going to be other people in my life, God, that are a priority to my life in certain areas of my life. And if I find someone or something that I enjoy more or maybe scratches that inside itch that's feeding into the things I want to do and how I want to live my life, then I'm going to dump you for a while because I'm not really committed and covenanted to you. It's just convenience with you. And some of you get it because you were in relationships like that. You were in a relationship where you were in there with covenant and they were in there with convenience. And you got your heart broken because you thought something was sacred. I thought we were exclusive. No, we're not. Well, I thought we loved each other. Well, yeah, a little, you know, when, when the time was right. And so you went on seeking love from other places and seeking to use someone else, right? Or you see that that's happened out in your life. It's just the benefits. And God's not going to allow it. God's not going to allow that to have that kind of relationship with each one of us. God will not have friends with the benefits of, 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 of this friends with benefits kinds of relationship with anyone because he wants covenant. We sing a song, you've never failed us, God. Your promises are always true. I may not see it right in front of my face, but there's a long game that you're playing. And in that long game, I know your goodness will reign. And he, because he doesn't break his promises, doesn't want us to do anything else would be adulterous. And you may tend to think, oh my gosh, well, God's expectations are too high. He's so controlling. He's so demanding. No, 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 no. We just don't know what love is and what God does in every single situation. Love is devoted. Love is exclusive. Love is committed. Love is sacred. And so what you can't do is look at God and say, <laughs> 
well, I'll give you this part of my life, but not this. No, he wants all of your life. Well, I, don't, I just want to be friends with you in this relationship right now. When, when it's going to benefit me, no. God wants your complete devotion and your complete obedience. That's what he wants out of me. And that relationship with God that he's looking to have with you, it's akin to a marriage. It's covenant. I know sometimes we say that like, or you've heard the saying, soft words <laughs> make hard people. Hard words can make soft people. Can I tell you that James is using some hard words to soften our hearts? It's not about what's out there. It's about what's in here. And he uses this, this hard language. You're either a friend of God and an enemy of the world, or you're an enemy of God and a friend of the world. Those are your only two options. And so if we're honest, we're, we're all guilty of this. All of us have placed something at the head of our table of life that's not been God. We do this. And yet again, God does what he does and he makes beauty out of ashes and he provides good news in the midst of all of that. Verse six, he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So in response to you and I compromising, to making mistakes, to sharing our allegiances, to being divided, world this week and God this week and world this week and God this week, and everything that comes in between that, God's response, James tells us he gives us more grace. He gives us grace upon grace, grace for our failures and grace for our messes and grace for our sin and grace when we get so stuck inside and we stay so inward focus, he gives grace generously. And James goes on to say that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The humble. There's a book, um, it's called The Book of Virtues. Some of you maybe come across this book. What I love about children's books, and we sort of have landed in the children's theme a little bit this morning, but what I love about them is they always bring about some virtues that we're trying to teach our young people, right? Our, our children. And they have these fun stories that embody just virtues and values that we wanna have. And so The Book of Virtues is all about virtues of Western culture kind of deal, but they're summarized in these children's tales and you can read them to your kids. The book is big, it's good, but what's interesting to me is that this book does not include the virtue of humility. And it sort of made me wonder because it's sort of encapsulating Western culture kind of virtues. And so it begs the question, do we consider in our world, in our culture today, humility a virtue? I don't know. I tend to think not. I think some of us consider maybe humility a vice, at some, maybe at our worst, we would consider humility a weakness. But I don't know if we would consider that a virtue. And pride is the problem there. That's something that's inside. It's rooted in us, something that we hold inside. All of us struggle wanting to be God. And so to be humble, well, no, I got to look out for number one. And James is clear 
that the proud are opposed by God. Because God is the one clearly, clear example of saying, no, I want to bring faith to life in your life. And to do that, you'll have to be cross-cultural, counter-cultural by showing humility because the Bible says that our King Jesus, he was humble because he came from heaven to earth incarnate to reside amongst all of us because our God is so good. He, he, he knew that he was not just going to be worshiped as God when he came down, but that he was going to be hated and that's humble. That he wasn't going to be just this angelic host of hosts with staff and, 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 and all of the angelical beings just worshiping. That instead he would come down as a carpenter because that's humble. And then the Bible talks about how he humbled himself because he became a servant unto others. A servant to the point where he died on a cross for each of us so that we might have a right relationship with God. And so if we point and we disagree with God at any point, you believe that God's wrong, then you have to just ask yourself, is he the one wrong or am I wrong? Am I not embracing humility as maybe a very virtuous quality? Am I disagreeing with God? Because just so you know, if you're disagreeing with God, that never works. He always wins. And James is saying that in our relationship with God, we're all trying to be this thing that's inside and it's starting with pride. That we're, that we're not just embracing the Holy Spirit that resides in us to embrace humility, to value it, to pursue it. Because God opposes the proud. If you want to pick a fight with God, good luck. God's undefeated. And he gives grace to the humble. Verse 10 through, verse 7 through 10, excuse me. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. I loved the celebration of the baptisms, because you talk about just water in general, what we use water for to clean our hands, to cleanse us, right? And the, the pictures, the capture of the stories of those baptisms, it's this new journey. It's this new life. Individuals declaring that I am choosing to follow Jesus. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Now, Hard words from James this morning. True words. Hard to hear. And I think some of us were consciously aware of our shortcomings and our failures. That we have been an enemy of God. We've been a friend of the world. That our allegiances, they've been divided. <laughs> I've had a relationship with God that was sort of just for the benefits at times. That I've been prideful, that I've been independent, that I've let what's inside of me be the driver of me. And if you've come to that conclusion this morning, here, online, if you've come to that conclusion, there's this word in the Bible that's very significant. And it's this place that we all come to, and it's a place called repentance. And repentance is that I have my face towards the world and I have my back, my, my back turned towards God. Repentance is actually, excuse me, saying, no, I'm flipping that. 
I'm actually going to look unto God and turn my back on the world. More of us are natural, again, from the inside out to want to live our own way and seek our own evil desires. But if, my, if repentance is my face looking unto the Lord and looking at all those inward evil desires that are driving me and saying, no, that, how's that working for me? How's that working for my life? Then what we're looking upon is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And so just for a last thought today, since we've been focused a lot on what's inside, here's my encouragement for all of us this morning. Just get outside. Get outside. And what I'm encouraging each of us to do in that is let's get outside of ourselves. Let's get outside of our own little world and our own little lives and our own little perspectives and be able to seek God and what he wants out of our life. Now that's gonna take some humility. That's gonna make us right-sized. That's gonna make us not large God and God, little God. It's gonna make him the right-sized God. Because when we get outside, when we get outside of ourselves, James is saying, you are now starting to remove yourself from the inside of the things that have driven you and the things that draw you from your evil desires. We hear all the time benefits about getting outdoors, don't you? I mean, study after study now is telling us like our tech and our noise and our busyness, it just drives our world. So to simply enjoy nature, I mean, there's animals that help with therapy to, to enjoy creation. I'm telling you, hard to beat this west lot, just heading outside as, as you've parked in that west lot and seen the beauty of God's creation. There's health benefits galore of just getting outdoors. And James is reminding us that you need to get outside of your own world. Get outside of your way of thinking because the problem isn't just out there that you want to point to. The problem is within you. What if that study was telling us about how 95% of us in our lifetime will spend our life indoors somewhere? What if the people of God, what if the people of Northern Hills Church that engage from miles away through the internet or engage here on a weekly basis, what if 95% of us started having outside lives that we're thinking not inwardly but about what God wants us to do on the in the world how we can impact others how we could get outside of our own little space in our world and let him drive and lead us to places that we have never imagined 95% of us actively living an outside in life what could that do what would God do through that? Because the solution is humility. Because humility is gonna empower us to receive grace after grace after grace from God. And it's not our own ability to do good. We're gonna focus on what's available to us in God, on the outside and his character and his person and his meaning for our lives because he has done for us 
in relationship, the promises that he keeps, the way he's never failed us, that he will be the true north that all of us are looking for. We change our inward focus and we turn towards him. So ask yourself this week, what does it mean to walk in humility in my relationship with God? That's gonna look different for each of us. That's not a one-stop shop or one, here's your point A answer. What do all of us look and ask the question, what does it mean to walk in humility in my relationship with God? And then the follow-up I would ask is simply, as I look at people and situations, how is my reliance on God, not the inside, but how is my reliance on him and what he's directing outwardly drawing me closer to what he wants for my life? Because he's really clear here. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Would you pray with me? God, my prayer is for is for each of us, Lord. Just to be soft-hearted. God, this is a hard word. I don't like hearing this word because um, it really gets to the root issues of me wanting to be God. And I know I have a friend or two either watching or here in person today that's feeling the same way. And so God, by the power of your grace upon grace that you give generously, Lord, help us to repent. Guide us as a people to be repentant, to turn away from the world and turn back to you. God, thank you that you are a God that doesn't leave. The minute we turn around, you're there because you've been following us the whole time. You've been pursuing us the whole time. You've been saying, if you would just ask, there's things that I'm gonna green light, there's things that I'm gonna red light for your safety, but just come to me with it. And as we stay humble, Lord, because you oppose the proud, you will honor those with humility and raise them on high. God, that is the truth of your word. And that is what we cling to this morning as we look to get outside, God. Get outside of ourselves. We confess to you that we need you, that you are our strength, you are our shield. You are the only one. You are the only one that can make our life whole. And so God, that's what we celebrate this morning. That's what we collectively lean to and cling to this morning is you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.